Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will smart food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three stakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This will be a lot of fun, I'm sure. <laughs> Welcome to Checking Out the Competition, Ottawa Senators. And before I intro our guest, I just want to apologize for the somewhat sporadic nature of these pregame podcasts over the last couple of weeks. It has been very difficult for me to find people that have the time to do these. I don't know if it's the holidays or it's just life, but, you know, it is what it is. So sorry that you didn't get to learn about the Habs. Whatever. Today... I'm very excited because we are joined by Micah Blake McCurdy of Hockey Viz, noted Senators fan from the internet. Micah, how are you today? I'm well, Kelly. How are you going? Great. Um, yeah, so the Sens, we haven't played them in quite a long time because the world fell apart. So is there anything kind of notable that we should know about the makeup of the Sens roster since a couple of years ago? Uh, yes, there's several extremely good players that you probably have never heard of. And then a big roster full of people who are dreadful. And the the very good players, the top line these days, um, which is Brady Kachuk, who you probably have heard about because Brady Kachuk is the kind of person who gets in the news. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the fact that he got literally bitten the other day uh, was only the latest in a long, long list of Brady Kachuk makes the news. <laughs> uh, these days, these days he's playing with Josh Norris, who you may or may not have heard of, uh, and also Drake Batherson, who a lot of Flyers fans I'm sure have not heard of. And both of those guys are really good. And that line is extremely good. Uh, and they will probably score on you once or maybe twice, uh, as well as probably allowing a goal. And you will wonder what on earth is going on. Um, but they are seriously good. Yeah, Josh, Nor- Josh Norris leading the team in goals, it looks like. You'll appreciate this. The NHL um, stats page for the Senators is kind of confusing because on the right under team leaders, it still features last year's numbers. So I'm looking at it going, wait, Connor Brown doesn't have 21 goals in 26 games. What are you what are you talking about? NHL.com. And then I looked into it a little bit further. Apparently, it's just last year's numbers that never got changed. So that's fun. Um yeah, you and might I, be surprised to learn that I haven't gone to the NHL website in literally years. I would imagine that you have little reason to, considering you own a website which features hockey stats. Yeah, I kind of, you know, why have a dog and bark yourself? Yeah. <laughs> also, yours is better and also prettier, so there's that too. Um, I know that heading into the season, if I'm remembering correctly, there was a little bit of hey, the Sens might be actually good this year. Like maybe 
they're going to make a, a sneaky playoff push. Maybe things are changing in Ottawa. That doesn't seem to be the case, um, given that they are seventh in the Atlantic right now. The Habs are somehow worse than them, which is kind of remarkable. Um, what was it about the Suns that seemed promising heading into the season, and why has it gone so poorly? So the the optimism, a lot of the optimism came from the front office itself. And fans were uh, a lot more divided, not at all so sure about, you know, whether things were really improved or not. The end of last season went much, much better than the beginning. And, and there was a run of sort of 10 or 15 games. And so that left a good taste in a lot of people's mouths. And the ownership and the front office in particular, quietly or not so quietly, depending on the individual person, decided that, that they had really turned a corner. Uh, and so, you know, the GM was saying that the rebound, the rebuild was over, um, which most people understood to mean that there were sort of no more major pieces required that they could develop from what they'd got into, into something good, you know, and then they would just be like tinkering. Um, and that, that particular vision is clearly false. Um, a lot of guys were playing at their very, very best at the end of last year. You know, Connor Brown, like you mentioned, with all those goals, you know, that's he was playing out of his skin. That he's a good player, better than people realize. Um, but you know, not not that kind of like he was, you know, just below Ovechkin and finishing quality last year. And that's the sort of thing that that you can do once, but you can't keep up. Yeah, um, <laughs> and there's there's a lot of you know, and, and some of the hope hinges on guys like Tim Stutzel, who is incredible, but incredibly young. And um, and he's getting juked around a little bit by the coach. You know, they're playing him at wing for stretches. Probably these days he's playing at center, which is much, much better. But they were very slow to do that because they weren't at all convinced that he could do it. You know, there are some legitimate defensive woes earlier on, especially last year for him and the start of the season. And so, you know, when you're hinging a lot on, um, you know, everything going right, then that's where you get the, those expectations. Where when, if you think the actual ability of your players is what you've seen them at their best, and not their best instead of their regular, you know that's where you get confused. And the Senators' front office doesn't have a particularly great handle of that distinction exactly. Um, but I mean that said, when they are at their best, um, like there's enough pure talent there to just completely smoke teams. Um, and so, for instance, the part of why the the fan base is a sort of quietly energized in the last few days is that they knocked off Carolina, they knocked off the Panthers, they've knocked off Colorado, they've knocked off Tampa just in the last, you know, six or seven. Yeah, and, they've been a, a little bit of a, a run there. Well, and and when they, and part of the thing, of course, is that the, the actual talent in the forward group is shooting talent. And, and shooting talent, the way that, I mean, Flyers fans will know what that's like, where the, the, you know, guys like Farabee, for instance, who is a legitimate shooting talent. And when he goes cold, then he goes cold. And you feel like, what are you doing here? And, you know, it's not like a Kopitar style driver, you know, where where you can see the benefit every shift. And and so Senators games, when they win, it feels like there's sort of nothing you can do. You know, if they're going to shoot seven times and score four, then, you know, there's not a great deal you can do to defend against that. But on the other hand, you know, when it doesn't work, you know, it feels like you're just shooting fish in a barrel where you just all you have to do is press because they give up both blue lines very easily. And uh, and then you can just, you know, it's it, so it's going to feel weird. It's almost certainly not going to be, you know, a tight arm wrestle. Someone's going to get blown out is my read. So defensively, then they're not very good. Dire. OK, 
the as as a like I mean there are worse teams. Um, Chicago has turned their season around a little bit after they fired their coach, but um, you know, and Vegas had that extremely poor start. But at five on five, Senators are close to the bottom of the league. Um, their penalty kill defensively is extremely bad, comfortably in the very bottom of the league. So, and the goaltending um, is not great. So, you know, the, I mean, I know the Flyers have had a, a, I mean, they've won a few also in the last few, but then before that, they had a nasty run of, of bad shooting luck where there's no shots went in. But the Senators are the team that fixes those kinds of problems. <laughs> oh, I mean, that's, that's good. We could use a little bit of that. Um, yeah, Matt Murray doesn't seem to have worked out. No, it was, I mean, that was, that was a wildly optimistic signing in the first place. The, if you, if you looked at his specific numbers, rather than looking at team numbers, um, you could see that even in his final year in Pittsburgh, that he was, that he was struggling heavily. And so what, you know, it's very easy to look past that. That's the kind of weakness that the, this Senator's front office really really has in spades where they can look at team results, especially for goalies and say, well, you know, that's what we want is those kinds of team results without realizing that, you know, Murray was, was not the one driving those two Stanley Cups, you know, good for him. He's, he's taken his recent, uh, some might say harsh demotion to the AHL in stride. Um, Mm -hmm. But the, and, and I'm not certain that I would have, to me, it seemed cynical. I thought they put him on waivers purely in the hopes that, you know, that somebody might repeat their mistake and take their extremely expensive, goaltender off their hands and i mean there's no question he's not worth what they pay him but he yeah. also doesn't really deserve uh laboring in the ahl for no particular reason if he was making two million a year the they would happily just continue playing him you know he's been bad but not that bad mm. so outside of that top line of josh norris brady kachuk and drake batherson what would you say has been the brightest spot on the well team? after that after that there's still stutzel the oh. Stutz, Stutzler, sorry, who's on the second line and, and a sort of rotating cast of, of other people with him, especially because he himself has been moved to wing a, a, a great deal. And so uh, I'm not sure precisely, but you might well get him with Formanton. Um, and uh, and Formanton is also sort of runs hot and cold. He's extremely fast. He's the kind of player that that you will notice. I mean, maybe, you know, if you don't watch junior games, you might not have ever seen him before. Um, but like if he gets a breakaway and he probably will get one or two, you will immediately notice that he will burn, you know, every team. He, he's every chance of being the fastest guy in the league or close. And really? doesn't. Oh, yeah. It doesn't have a lot of other skills. He's not a particularly good player um, sort of all up. But but when you have extremely visible skills, you still get noticed. And so so that line of of. Stutzla and then probably Formanton um, and whoever else they decide to put there will be will be noticeable. After that, the the third and fourth lines are pretty grungy. You know, Austin Watson will probably try to fight a dude. <laughs> the, there's not a great deal going on there. You know, if they can if they can make your life boring for 20 minutes between the two of them, they'll probably consider that a win. So since I rarely have someone on these pregame pods that can confidently talk about the flyers i'm going to make you answer some questions about them um so at the start of the season a lot of people like me who fancy themselves people who know things about hockey took a look at your prediction for the flyers which was very nearly bottom of the league 
and quietly in our homes laughed and laughed <laughs> at how the flyers were going to break Micah's model and it was going to be very funny for us and ha 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 how could he be so silly to think that the flyers would be this bad well um turns out maybe you might have been on to something shockingly enough um, perhaps perhaps and i i guess kind of just generally my question is what was it that you saw at the start of this season because the thing for us as flyers fans was a lot of like on paper before they even play a game hell yeah this team is better no chance they're going to be as bad as they were last season not a chance in hell this is going to be a good hockey team maybe not great but they're going to be a good hockey team and we've seen some you know moments of good hockey but overall this season there's just no getting around that they have not been a good hockey team so what was it that you saw that we were just missing at the start of this season so i think the i mean there was a lot of ink spilled um about carter hart and and there's a lot of i mean there's a lot of interesting things going on there a lot of you know to, to put the two years that he put up as his first two years and then the the dire third year and then what are you going to do with this fourth year and you know what is that third year really representative what is it like you know he talked publicly about mental health struggles how much does that you know how relevant is that what can you do with that for predictions you know there's, there's a whole mare's nest there and and Hart has been like a little microcosm of the team that way where when he was playing out of his skin in the early days they couldn't lose the and and as soon as he regressed to just you know even slightly above average from there the you know, all of a sudden the losses start piling up, especially because that coincided with a nasty shooting percentage um, running cold. Yeah. But but in terms of like what the the sort of that got a lot of press and and Hart is still, you know, important enough that like any other goalie who's playing that kind of minutes important enough that as he goes, so the team will go. But but I think what was what really actually got a lot of backs up when I was discussing Flyers projections with the uh, not small number of Flyers fans who were happy to tell me that I was full of shit was <laughs> that was the the defense core specifically the I a lot of Flyers fans on paper looked at the changes on D and said this is better and my model predictions said the opposite yeah uh, and specifically about team defense so keith yandel for instance who i i think is a, a useful player who most teams could find a useful spot in their in their second pair the you know or ideally third pair but second pair i think is still fine you know he has a lot of flaws and they're all defensive but a lot of of benefits which are all offensive mm -hmm. and so there aren't a lot of defenders who fit that profile and coaches don't usually like them very much um but there you know there's a defensive weakness there Ristolainen, who got brought in, a lot of Flyers fans were saying, well, you know, he'll play down the depth chart, the, which has not entirely materialized. He hasn't shouldered quite the workload as in Buffalo, but the reduction in his minutes has not been that much. And he's been very poor. The Ellis, of course, I think was an improvement, although not as much as a lot of other people thought. I thought he was carried a little bit um, in, um, in Nashville by his partner there, whose name eludes me at the moment. And although I think he's also, also decent. And then, of course, he got hurt, which... Yeah which does not help in any, you know, doesn't help anybody's evaluations, let alone, and least of all helps the Flyers. And, and a lot of the established talent on the Flyers blue line, I already had. So I, this is me conflating myself with the model, which is sort of, you know, 
coming to look like your pets kind of thing. The, mm-hmm. I, I think Provorov in particular and a handful of others were never as good as Flyers fans ever thought they were. Yeah. And and so so for me, that didn't feel strange, you know, where my opinion on Provorov remains unchanged over. Um, but if you thought going into the season that Provorov is a guaranteed number one, and I think Provorov is like a number four, you know, mm-hmm. then then already you're not starting the conversation on anything close to equal footing. And so, so you can have quite, quite different opinions about the, about the decor as a whole, sort of once you realize that you're starting from, from positions that are that different. Yeah, it's, um, the, the defense, I mean, like no, no team's defense should completely fall apart with the absence of one player. And it became clear pretty quickly that any improvement that we were going to see to the defense uh, required the presence of Ryan Ellis. And as soon as he was removed, the entire house of cards just collapsed. Like it, it's become clear over the last couple of seasons, seasons actually, that you're correct. Ivan Provorov is a second pair defenseman. You can maybe argue, is he a three? Is he a four? Like maybe you can argue that, but it's pretty clear that He's not a first pair defenseman because if he was a legit two, even removing his partner should not lead to a collapse in his game, which is seems to be what happens every single time. As soon as you remove his reliable defensive partner, he's a disaster. So can't be a two, right? Like that's not not really what you want in your number two. Um, and and yeah, then then you've got Ristolainen and Sandheim, who actually, I mean, like to the eye. For me have looked better over the last stretch of games I don't know how accurate that is by the numbers but I mean Ristolainen hasn't even been as much of a disaster as I thought he was going to be at least I think he's improved slightly from Buffalo you know he, that's I don't think I don't think he was in a great situation in Buffalo no no he's clearly you know not supposed to be the best defenseman on your team by any stretch and trying to use him that way was well, and that's part of the trouble too. Yeah, and that's part of the trouble both in Philadelphia and in Ottawa for for a nice comparison, where you know, like like Ottawa, they have one legitimately good defender, um, and he's a clear number one. Everybody knows it. Everybody agrees it is Thomas Shabbat. He plays, you know, he might well play twenty nine thirty minutes. You know, he he's, he's that kind of like. But Ottawa has lived that life for years too. Eric Carlson for years was the only legitimate, like really clear cut top pair guy. And, and he was good enough that he could take like a, a second pair guy like Mark Mathot and play with him on the top pair and have, have it be fine. And Shabbat can do that too. He can, he can carry some of the weaker defenders, but there's too much weakness to cover up all the holes. And so it comes out somewhere. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what's going on in Philly too, except instead of having one clear cut number one guy, and then like a bunch of third liners, sorry, a bunch of third pair guys, which is what Ottawa has, they instead have sort of four top four guys and, or maybe three and no top pair guys at all. Mm. And so you have this ever present weakness all the time. And and so that comes out where you never, you know, you never get those times. Like you get those times when you score, you know, in bunches just because that's what scorers are like. But you never, ever get these stretches where you're like, we controlled, you know, three quarters of that game. We just right. never gave them a sniff. Like you don't. And you, for that, you need like 
not just not just overall quality, but you need a different style of quality. You know, in Provorov, for instance, like he has strengths, and in particular, he's a very strong shooter, and he used to be even stronger. And so, you know, you get him on the power play, and you can like have him unload from, you know, it looks like the point, but he's actually come down ten feet, and he's, you know, in a really good scoring position, and he has a great shot. And so, all of a sudden, you're getting like, you know, an extra goal every handful of games from that. You know, that's tremendous, and and that covers up a lot of sins. But anytime you're relying on shooting talent, this is just like we were talking about with Ottawa earlier. Anytime you're, although for them it's the forwards. Anytime you're relying on shooting talent, you're going to have extra streakiness. Yeah, which is can be frustrating, but also like I feel like that's kind of built in. Like everyone understands the goal scorers are streaky. They're either streaky or they're Alex Ovechkin, and there's not really any in between. It seems like. Well, Ovechkin's not a is not a sniper. Right. He's a he's a volume shooter. Mm, he's a yeah. very good shooter, but he's still, you know, he relies on his teammates to an incredible degree to pass him the puck in the places where he needs it so that he can shoot again and again and again and again. Like he's like taking, you know, there's there's games where he's taking 14, 15 shots on goal. Like that's that's something that you cannot do by yourself. Yeah. And true. so the shooting talent itself is his that there's no question there. But in terms of pure shooting talent. Uh, like if I only get to, you know, I get to pick 10 guys and they each take one shot. I'm not sure Ovechkin is going to be my, my top guy there. Who would be you know, your you gotta, top there? Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> to put you on the spot. Stamkos probably. Okay. Even though he's, even though he's getting older, the Povolchuk, you know, raised from the dead. The, <laughs> it's. Like the there's something Mike Hoffman maybe even although he's tailed off a little bit recently, the it's just happy Ottawa memories from when he was a tremendous shooter years ago, but that like, you know sort of I only need one shot and that's all I'm gonna get is not Ovechkin style at all. Yeah. And and so part of why he's been able to do what he's been able to do is that he's had a supporting cast especially on the power play, you know who's very good at feeding him the puck. This is part of why I'm I'm sort of thinking about this is that it's been a, a research interest of mine recently about specifically this kind of passing passing to a guy who you think is going to shoot mm. and and the caps do that extremely well and uh incidentally it's something that uh ottawa does very poorly with the exception of a handful of guys um so josh norris in particular is a great shooter and drake batherson who i was mentioning before you know is is a very good passer to him specifically they have a really good a really good one-two connection in that way oh so that's interesting kind of like less the idea that it's just like a pass and more of the idea that you're passing it intentionally no like you're knowing with that pass a goal is coming i guess is what you're looking right. at. yeah and, okay. and you 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 wouldn't try it it's the kind like you can there's the kind of passes that you see all the time as a fan you know we don't have a good name for them i've been i've been starting to call them sets like as if it was volleyball mm-hmm. and you know, because that's with the same image, like, you know, when somebody sets a volleyball, like the idea is that the other guy is going to hit it. Like, that's the whole the whole idea. I mean, in volleyball, there are rules are there. You're only allowed to touch the ball three times. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's not the same in hockey. But if as a fan, you know those passes and like sometimes you can see them, you can sort of smell them developing. And then, you know, you can see there's like a seam just there. Oh, there's a, a half step that guy's out of place in the penalty kill. And so, you know, that if he can get the, the pass through the seam, it'll be an easy tap in for that guy. And the shot is not, you know, it's not just a, oh, I'm going to make this pass because I've got to, you know, because I'm getting pressured. and I want to keep the play alive. Like there's a very specific, you know, this is 
Mm -hmm. I'm going to bank the puck into the back of the net off of that guy's stick, you know, and he's going to, I'm going to trust him to not screw it up because I can see he's in the right spot already. And, and there's, there's a lot of virtue to passing, but, but there's just like not every shot is supposed to be a goal. Some shots are deliberately designed for rebounds. Not every pass is designed to be a a scoring pass, but some of them are. And, and this is one thing, in fact, um, you know, Vino, of course, canned. But um, but one of the things that I thought he was unusually good at was cultivating exactly that skill um, to the detriment of a lot of other skills where, you know, he was constantly looking for those like one shot passes, like little bank passes off the boards in your own zone, which would lead to a guy getting a breakaway or a two on one, like that kind of thing, which is every inch a pass for a guy to score with as a backdoor power play pass, you know, the like the next play, even if it's three seconds later, is supposed to be a shot on goal. Right. And and so that's that's like there's there's a real virtue in that whole play. Like there's a you can you can win that way, but you can also focus on it too much and you can get trapped and saying, well, you know, this is the only way we generate offense and we're not gonna cycle and we're not gonna, you know, we're not gonna comp the ice four wide. We're instead just gonna have to try to spring a guy or two. You know, it's a very different offensive style. Yeah, which we saw fall apart when the team is incapable of completing passes, literally nothing works, which is what we have when you, and as a coach, when you only have one strategy, you're going constantly to the well again and again, you know, you're going to get figured out. Yeah. And this was like, you know, Dave Haxtell, who you remember from old Philadelphia days was especially figure outable this way. Yeah. And he's, that seems to be a, I guess what he's going to go with because he seems to be pretty figure outable in Seattle as well. Yep. Not going well for them. That was such a weird hire, but whatever, that's neither here nor there. Um, I guess one last thing before we wrap up, just because I'm doing this, um, the Flyers forward core though, you think are pretty good. Quite strong, uh, you know, not without weaknesses, but, of course. but yeah, I think well above average. And just out of curiosity, because we talked about this on our podcast yesterday, if the Flyers were to decide to blow it up and completely rebuild, I argued that you have to trade Carter Hart in that situation, because as you kind of mentioned earlier, if he's good, the team's going to win games just by virtue of the fact that he's good. So if you're really trying to bottom out, can you have a goaltender as good as Carter Hart or would he need to go as well? I, 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 the, <laughs> I, I would, I mean, it's tricky too, right? Because as soon as you trade somebody who's that important, then you got to right. ask yourself the follow-on question, which is who is going to play goal, not just for the remainder of the year, but who's going to play goal next year? Who's going to play goal the year after that? The, you know, if I was the organization, I would find it a lot easier to tell myself, well, what they've clearly already told themselves, which is that they think Hart, Hart is a generational talent or close and that they're going to play him through all of his struggles. You know, it wouldn't, it's not too difficult to tell yourself a story that says, you know, that one year was just one year, mm-hmm. you know, it's in the past now, regardless, the, maybe he's not quite as good as his very best, but he might be close, you know, we got to run with that. And in which case you can, I mean, maybe you can just lower his workload if you don't want to win that much and try to develop some goalie that you don't know that much about. Maybe, you know, and then the worst thing that happens is that you ruin your pick with discovering that one of your other goalies is also kind of good. Oh yeah. no! Like that—that's one of like you—you you, you can you know you can only go so far too. Even with a great goalie, like you know you need a backup and you need all those other things. 
the and so as long as you keep a, a dev mindset around around the whole team and say well you know even though we won five straight we're still gonna look for weaknesses and we're still gonna look for upgrades yeah the, you know I, I don't think you have to um especially because i'm not certain that the flyers you know maybe maybe they don't like maybe there's no hope of resurrecting this particular season but but like one super high draft pick, that's not what the Flyers need. The Flyers right. need an organizational blow- change about defense. Yeah, like I don't, I don't think that that blowing it up is the answer that Flyers fans seem to think it is, um, because like to truly do it, because we don't have at this point really a single super high end prospect in the system. Like you're going to need to draft two or three of them in order to you know actually rebuild from the literal ground up which means you're now talking two or three or four tanked seasons if that's the way you're going to try to go and that seems uh not fun for me seems bad i i don't think it's a mistake i think um you know there are teams i think who probably should like completely retool um I, i but i i'm not even stylistically kind of devoted to that thought just generally you know even if i like even if i thought the flyers were at that stage i think a lot of teams can actually find success just by um constant small improvements just by Mm -hmm. carefully isolating you know what is what is the problem where you know we need a new guy like this can we wait for four months to find a trade you know because there might not be one in the short term do we have the patience to wait and and find a trade like that when it comes up and just consistently address your weakest spot again and again and again until your weakest spot is actually like you know oh our second line could use a little juice you know that kind of right right. when all of a sudden you have like cup contender problems instead of having bottom feeder problems or or more likely for philadelphia in between always in between yeah (laughs) it's it's fantastic um it's kind of uniquely Philadelphian, I feel, that that commitment to average. It's remarkable. We're actually kind of hoping just for chaos that they now go on a 10-game winning streak and as a result are like precisely where they were at like the end of October with no material change whatsoever because that would be just the most flyer's way for them to do this. I mean, I seem to recall the Flyers having 10-game winning and losing streaks, or was it just nine for one of them within a few years ago? Like this is this is not uncharted territory. No, no, they did a they did a 10-game losing streak and then ended up making the playoffs, which was kind of hilarious. That was Hackstall's first year, I believe, and uh, then had a 10-game winning streak during a year that they did not make the playoffs. <laughs> that's where they were adjacent years. They weren't the same year. No, yeah, yeah, back-to-back years. That's that's how it went. <laughs> Still, that I mean, I feel like that's a real like Flyers energy. And they've, you know, they've won a few in a row now and they there's every reason they could rattle off some more. But that and part of that is uh, just what we were talking about earlier that when you rely on shooting talent, you know, the streakiness is going to be amplified. Mhm. Yep. We uh yeah. Got to work on the defense, I guess. I guess that's the problem. Which it's it's interesting because the the thing that was glaring during the ten game losing streak was their inability to score goals, um, which, as you've suggested, is probably more luck than anything. Just kind of like the shooting luck not being there. 
percentage. I think, that's, I think that's mostly right. And it takes it takes a lot of of faith that you've, you know, you've, in your analysis to be able to, you know, to look your guys in the dressing room in the eye and say, it's fine, it'll get better. Um, mm-hmm. And but then, you know, the in addition to and this is the same problem in Ottawa as in Philadelphia um, is the shots conceded. You know, it's one thing to say, well, you know, we're going to get the, sh- the scoring back on track. You know, we understand that that's just how just how it goes. And and there's a certain element of truth to that. But the the defense, you can you can really, you know, and, and there I think it's less of a coaching issue than a, a personnel issue. But, you know, getting play driving defenders who also don't completely create your offense is not so easy to do. Yeah. And not so easy to draft for either. You know, it's it's easy well enough to say, you know, the draft is a crapshoot too. I mean, that's a little bit unkind, but but the parts of the draft that are well understood, the bits that that NHL teams draft well for are the scoring bits. Yeah. And and so that's you know, addressing addressing defensive team defensive need is uh, really difficult and requires uh, a GM with the right kind of not just the right kind of thought process, but also the right kind of temperament because it takes a lot of patience to find those guys, mm-hmm. let alone to, you know, getting them once you find them is actually not particularly difficult because they're not particularly well valued. You know, guys like Dylan DeMello, you know, who would be a tremendous upgrade, like he's a legit number three who could slot in nicely and, and you know, for any number of different players in the in the Philadelphia blue line. The mm-hmm. Ottawa traded him away for a third a couple of years ago, and Winnipeg doesn't seem to value him particularly high, even though he's benefiting their group tremendously you know so it's just that they're not particularly common Mm. interesting all right i'm not going to keep you any longer because i've kept you already longer than i thought i would um it's a delight to talk to you isn't it (laughs) the last thing i'm going to ask you is i ask everyone to do this because it's fun for me um prediction for the final score of this game oh um nine eight just like the old um like the Baron Woods game. Nine to eight senators or nine to eight flyers? I refuse to be drawn about who. Oh, damn. Who gets it. the nine? Who gets the eight? I don't know. That, I won't say. I, I kind of hope you're right because that would be, if nothing else, a lot of fun for everyone to watch. Regulation nine eight, though, not overtime. Oh, of course. That would be terrible. Well, you know, <laughs> someone's going to score in the last like 120 seconds. That sounds wonderful. I hope you're right. My prediction was going to be something super boring like three to one flyers but i like yours better so i'm gonna root for it to happen we should all be given joy i agree it's the least that the universe can do for us at this point that's right micah thank you very much for doing this with me i really appreciate it it was outstanding and easily the most informative one of these i've ever done um i'm sure that everyone listening to this knows but let people know where they can find you on the internet uh, so I live entirely on Twitter. Um, you can find me at ineffective math, all one word. It's a joke about how I couldn't get a job as a math professor. Um, but I also have a website, which is hockeyviz.com, hockeyviz.com, and lots of it. You can pay me if you like. That's how I make my living um, so that you can subscribe to the site and get access to cool stuff. But there's also some cool stuff, which is free. So you can just go and check it out. It's all pictures. There's no numbers. It's very cool. It's extremely useful if you want to... Like I sometimes do either verify or disprove what I think I'm seeing with my eyeballs. It's nice to do sometimes because 
you can't trust your eyeballs or your brain at any time. So I can't recommend spending $5 a month on MICA enough at minimum. It's the best $5 you'll spend on hockey things. MICA, thank you so much. I hope that you have fun watching this game. I hope that we have fun too. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Kelly. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. What is up, Astros fans? This is Jeff Balke and my partner, former Astro Jeff Blum from the Believe in Astros podcast to tell you baseball is back and we've got your world champion Houston Astros covered. Every week we go inside the clubhouse, break down the games, discuss the players and give you everything you need to know about the Houston Astros baseball organization with special guests and a few surprises all summer and into the postseason. So tune in to the Believe in Astros podcast. That's B-L-E-A-V on Apple. Spotify, YouTube, and everywhere you get your podcasts, go Astros.